the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into our third hour today, I'm going to ask everyone to sit up a little bit and sit up straight as we welcome uh, back to the show a dear friend um, and really, truly one of the great public intellectuals of our age. I could spend the whole segment giving you his resume. Robert P. George is the McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence, Professor of Politics and Director of the James Madison Program at Princeton University, among many other things. Professor George, thanks for joining us again. Pleasure to be back on, Seth. Thank you for inviting me. You betcha. I was struck the other day when I saw Chris Cuomo of CNN Monday speaking about the pro-life movement, especially in context of the Supreme Court taking up the Mississippi abortion statute. Chris Cuomo on CNN saying the pro-life movement is against science and catering to the, quote, far-right, white, fright vote, close quote. It struck me he may know less about abortion and white and black relations in America than anyone in America. When I reflected upon a line Michael Novak once used talking about how abortion moved like a scythe through the black community. No one is more prolific on this issue in this country than you, Professor George. What think you? I think Chris Cuomo is a very silly man, and he has proven it yet again. Uh, You do not get more pro-life than, uh, for example, presiding Bishop Charles E. Blake of the Church of God in Christ, our nation's uh, largest black Pentecostal, historically black Pentecostal denomination. Uh, You do not get more pro-life than uh, Dr. Jacqueline Rivers of the African American Studies Department at Harvard and the Seymour Institute for Black Church and Conservative Studies. And the reason that black Americans like Bishop Blake and uh, Dr. Rivers are pro-life is first, They are profound believers in the profound and equal dignity of each and every member of the human family. Uh, They know that slavery is not the only example in history of that great principle being denied. Abortion is another example of that great principle being denied. Uh, And because they are people of principle, they recognize that that evil, the denial of that principle, has got to be fought whether it's about slavery, segregation, the Holocaust, abortion, euthanasia, the killing of handicapped or cognitively disabled people, eugenic killing, no matter what it is. The principle is that each and every living member of the human family is made in the very image and likeness of God, and therefore possesses a profound, inherent, and equal dignity. Does Chris Cuomo not understand that? Uh, Has no one explained that to him? Uh, or does his own foolishness just block his willingness, his own ideologically motivated foolishness, block his willingness to see reason? You know, the interesting thing—thank uh, you for that, Professor George. The interesting thing I think about in what you just spoke about from uh, black leaders in um, in the church in America is um, many white 
uh, Americans who were active in the civil rights movement, who took with them from the 1960s, Professor George, who took with them the lessons of the 1960s to their pro-life positions. And by the way, those white pro-life positions and writers and activists taught me, I didn't know this, what a problem abortion was for or I should say, in the black community and how directed it has been towards them. It is anything but anything but something to preserve uh, uh, pro-life movement. It's anything but something to preserve whiteness in America or white majoritarianness in America. You are so right, Seth. And uh, let me honor the names of some of the people that I'm sure you have in mind, some of the great heroes of the pro-civil uh, rights movement. Uh, who, because precisely of that commitment to the inherent equal dignity of each and every member of the human family, became great pro-life activists. Richard John Newhouse, mm-hmm. Mary Ann Glendon, mm-hmm. Leon Cass. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are uh, names that should be lifted up mm-hmm. whenever we think of the importance of the principle, even to our own founding. After all, the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. Whenever we think of that principle, we should remember these names, the people who were consistent, Mm -hmm. the people who stood up for that principle when it was being violated by slavery, then segregation, and the people who stand up for that principle today when it's being violated by abortion, and increasingly the killing of the cognitively disabled, uh, uh, euthanasia, let, let's 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 pause on that. You've written eloquently on this, Professor uh, George. Let's pause on that for a moment. Uh, I remember, if it wasn't something you wrote, it was a lecture uh, of yours. Hopefully, it rings familiar, and 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 I don't butcher it too terribly much. But for those of us who are very sensitive to seeing things through uh, the racial lens, um, as culminating in things like the Third Reich. Um, it begins not with racial uh, discrimination per se or racial genetic elimination per se. It starts with um, what you just said. Uh, uh, what's the German phrase you used to use? Lebenswertes, Leben, lives unworthy of living. Le- yes, this is where it starts. Exactly. Lebenswertes, Leben. Talk to me. Lives unworthy that. of life. Yeah. Th- this was the principle that the Nazis ran on but they did not invent it. Mm-hmm. Seth, that principle was invented by progressives, mm-hmm. by polite, sophisticated, well-educated people, mm-hmm. people who regarded themselves and were regarded by others as enlightened. Mm-hmm. They are the people who launched the eugenics movement. The Nazis picked it up and ran with it. They gave it a bad name. Everyone now repudiates it. But progressives don't want to think back into their own history and be confronted with the brute fact that it was their movement that created it. We have been talking and it like it lives the, on in the abortion movement today. Yeah, no, we have been on the we, abortion movement. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. Yeah, the, the, even the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a notorious eugenicist and a racist. And in fact, finally, fifty years or more too late. The New York affiliate of Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood being the biggest uh, abortionist in the entire country, 
uh, the polite word now is abortion provider. They like that. But even the New York affiliate of Planned Parenthood has taken her name off because they have finally admitted that she was a racist. Pro-life people like myself have been telling them this for decades, and they have denied it, and they have denied it, and they have denied it. And finally, they've admitted to the truth of it. This whole movement was born in eugenics and in racism. The funny and thing, for Chris Cuomo yeah. to claim that pro-life people are, to imply that pro-life people are racist, yeah. what an outrage. Well, that's where I went with it, uh, Professor George. What an outrage, because when I was thinking about that Michael Novak line and certain things you've written and wrote, uh, you've written and spoken about, it, it, it seems to me that there has been no greater cause of death and minority status to the black population than abortion in America. And that, unfortunately, as we may have to admit, yet one more sin it seems in some cases have been done to have been done by design. Well, uh, for those of uh, your listeners who are not familiar with the name, I want you to go to uh, Google and look up Fannie Lou Hamer, mm-hmm. one of the great heroes of the 20th century civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Fannie Lou Hamer, mm-hmm. great activist, mm-hmm. and someone who spoke in the most explicit terms about the evil of abortion seeing it exactly as a scythe, cutting through communities of poor people, people who were regarded as inferior, who were neglected, uh, who, who were thought to be in the way. And those conservatives, by the way, those conservatives who, to their shame, embraced abortion, the abortion license early on. I'm talking about people like the columnist James J. Kilpatrick sure, sure. and uh, the, New, the, the New York radio host Bob Grant. Sure. Why did they embrace abortion? Precisely because they felt it was necessary to keep the poor population yep. down, yep. To, to, to reduce welfare costs. We're going to let poor people, or disproportionately black, kill their children. Now, I don't want any part of that legacy of the I'm a conservative, but I don't want any part of that legacy of the conservative movement. Nope. I think those people deserve to be held up as, uh, as uh, uh, people of shame. Same for the progressives who embraced it. If conservative means anything, it means first conserving life, doesn't it, Professor? Well, when we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which which word comes first? Doctor, always a tonic listening to you. Thank you for everything, especially being available to talk about this at the last minute. I really needed to get your voice. I appreciate it. Thank you, Seth. God bless. Look forward to next time. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Power increases are coming. Stop giving your money away to the power companies. Save it. And in many cases, after you go solar, they'll have to send a check to you. This is the pitch my friend Solar Sandy makes. She brought integrity back to solar in Arizona and has actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. She has helped so many if you doubt me, just read the testimonials on her website, AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. It's important when you go solar, you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way. If you sign up with her now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right a $1,000 signing bonus, and your solar and power bill payments for the first year covered. She'll do appointments by Zoom 
or in person. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com and let Sandy do all the work or give her a call at 623-850-8229. That's AskSolarSandy.com or 623-850-8229. Haven't had this question in a while, but it did come up here and there and then it receded and it had to do with whether one could oppose the wearing, um, the enforcement of wearing face masks as a matter of First Amendment rights. Can one oppose the mandate to wear a mask as an infringement on your First Amendment rights? The answer seemed almost certainly no for a while. And then, as Barack Obama said, don't underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to blank things up. Now, because of some of the things Joe Biden has said, there may very well be a First Amendment challenge or right not to wear a face mask. Constitutional litigator David Rivkin, uh, one of the top constitutional litigators in our country, has a piece on this at the Wall Street Journal that is just precious. Why do we have to wear face masks, he asks. The official answer changes from week to week. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake, President Biden said when asked on April 30th why he still did, despite being vaccinated. But last week, he recast mask mandates as a coercive sanction against the unvaccinated. Quote, the rule is now simple. Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. Close quote. He tweeted as much as well. Though he spoke of the rule, There is, in fact, no rule that has changed. The CDC merely issued guidance that if you're fully vaccinated, quote, you can resume activities without wearing a mask except where required by federal, state, local rules and regulations. Within days, many states relaxed their mask edicts. And Washington, D.C. followed this week by applying its decrees only to unvaccinated people on most federal property. Uh, But California officials said they'd stand pat for another month, and the White House and CDC still require universal masking on public transportation and airports. Critics argue that masking has become a form of virtue signaling. Mr. Biden reinforced that claim with his appeals to patriotism, which began during last year's campaign as a rebuttal to the mask resistant. But if wearing a mask conveys a political message, much less a patriotic sentiment, it's constitutionally suspect. The government now forcing you to just take a political position, to confess and profess your patriotism, David Ridkin quotes one of my favorite lines in Supreme Court history dicta from Robert Jackson. 
No official high or petty can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. That was the case that held forcing schoolchildren to salute the flag and recite the Pledge of Allegiance was unconstitutional. To wear a mask in public is to affirm a viewpoint no less powerful than the Pledge of Allegiance. Indeed, the president told us so several times. It's your patriotic duty. To wear a mask in public is to affirm a viewpoint no less powerful than the Pledge of Allegiance, that COVID poses a crisis so dire as to demand unprecedented government control of our lives and a transformation of the norms of interpersonal behavior. Ubiquitous mask mandates make assent impossible to avoid except by breaking the law or staying home. Think about that. Think about that. Ubiquitous mask mandates make assent impossible to avoid except by breaking the law or staying home. Officials would argue they are regulating conduct, not expression, and that they are doing so to protect public health. A few months ago, that defense almost certainly would have prevailed. The pandemic severity, coupled with the lack of ways to control it would have persuaded most judges to defer to the government's contention that the danger of infection outweighed the right to dissent or any other rights. Although, oddly enough, other rights were more important than COVID when it came to protesting on behalf of BLM. By the way, the Supreme Court has long held action and not just speech as covered by the First Amendment. It's not just about conduct versus expression anymore. There's a whole series of Supreme Court cases conveying First Amendment speech rights to conduct. That would include everything from nude and erotic dancing to burning the flag. Rifkin says, however, sticking just to COVID, the facts have now changed and a First Amendment challenge may just be ripe. I want to finish up with that on the other side of this break. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Finishing up David Rivkin's point about the First Amendment and masks. Given given the reduction of the pandemic with the number of daily infections down, vaccinations taking place, the CDC acknowledges implicitly with its latest guidance that vaccinated people are at trivial risk of contracting the virus or transmitting it to others. All this would be relevant to a court considering a First Amendment challenge to a mask mandate. For to defend content-based limits on speech, the government must satisfy something known as strict scrutiny, which means the government has to demonstrate 
that the restrictions further a compelling interest, they are narrowly tailored, and that they are the least restrictive means of doing so. No one would argue that the government has a compelling interest in preventing infectious disease, but that doesn't imply a compelling need for masks. If it did, they could be justified in perpetuity. Universal masking would reduce spread of the flu, the common cold, and other infections, perhaps, but that has never been thought to justify mandating it except during a pandemic. Widespread vaccination makes mask mandates far too broad to be properly tailored as a remedy. Selective enforcement against the unvaccinated is impractically cumbersome, so authorities have to rely on what CDC Director Rochelle Walensky calls the honor system, which presumably is why the CDC hasn't relaxed its own order requiring universal masking in transportation facilities. Many of the mandates arbitrarily apply to the millions of Americans with natural immunity from prior infection, unless they are also vaccinated. And if self-selected enforcement were possible, it would compound the First Amendment violation with an intrusion into medical privacy by effectively requiring the disclosure of vaccination status as a condition of public behavior. Most important Mask mandates have ceased to be the least restrictive means of stopping viral spread. For several months, Washington and state governments have made a determined effort to encourage vaccination. That measure has involved almost no coercion, making it much less restrictive than a mask mandate. It has proved far more effective. Nationwide infections rose more or less steadily in the fall and early winter, including in states that had strong mask mandates before peaking in January as vaccination got underway. Infections declined sharply, dropped more slowly, then rose a bit before resuming their decline in April, right around the time vaccines became available to all adults. In 2009, a reporter asked President Obama why he wasn't wearing an American flag pin on his lapel. Right after 9-11, I had a pin, Obama said. Shortly after 9-11, particularly because as we're talking about the Iraq war, It became a substitute for patriotism, which is speaking out on issues that are of importance to our national security, and I decided I won't wear that pin on my chest. With the nationwide pandemic over, or nearly so, there is no reason to deny any American the freedom to make that same decision about the mask on his or her face. Well done, David Rifkin. Thank you. Mike is in Scottsdale. Hello, Mike. Hi, Seth. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, hey, I you had a lady um, last Friday that I think she was your last caller, and she had um, a point of view that uh, she thought that the government was at the point of taking over the people of America, and it was time to do something about uh, yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. I recall that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you you told her, and I, I, this is one of those extremely rare instances where I kind of disagreed what you said to her, and I wanted to get your Maybe I said it, it wrongly. <laughs> Who knows? No, no. Or maybe know. we have a disagreement. That's possible, well, too. Well, you told her it wasn't that time yet, and I, I, I kind of think it is. I, the, that I is important. Was, what is it I told her that it wasn't? Uh, I, you, you were real general about it because you didn't have enough time to finish your 
thing before the, 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 the program quit. I but, took but, her to be saying something like, if memory serves, Mike, you, you helped me out. I took her to be saying something like, it's time for us to look to the fundamental right of revolution in the Declaration of Independence. That's what I took her to be saying. Was that an overreaction on my part? Uh, no, I, I agree with that. All right, so I, that's I what she... Okay, we agree on what was said. We disagree on what I responded with, and I have to take a break. So can you hold one more second, Mike? And, or sure. a couple, yeah, and we'll pick it up on the other side. Perfect, beautiful. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, again, thanks to uh, Chris Llewellyn for uh, subbing... Uh, our production today. I really appreciate it, Chris. You've done a great job. Uh, before I go back to Mike, a crisis at the border. I think we have two tickets to give away yet this hour for our May 25th event. This is May 25th. Sebastian Gorka, Andy Biggs, Mike Gallagher, myself, we will be uh, talking with you here in Scottsdale about the crisis at the border and how it is symptomatic of the larger progressive destruction of America. Biggs, Gorka, me, and Gallagher, you don't want to miss it. You can get tickets at 960thepatriot.com. And if you're our next phone caller, we'll give you two general admission tickets as well. Uh, I was talking with Mike. Uh, Mike, thank you for your call and your patience in waiting. Sure, thank you. You wanted to discuss a call I had last week, last Friday, with a woman who thought things were getting so bad that right-thinking people or conservatives should start thinking about um, natural right of revolution. Is that what that... Yes. Okay, go ahead. Sir. Yes. What did I yeah, so, say that upset you or got you I, on the other well, side of me? <laughs> it just... And, and you were at the end of your, okay. of your uh, program, so, you know, I, I'm sure there wasn't any way to really uh, address it well. Okay. But but I, I just started thinking, I wrote down a couple of things. We're, we now have a man in the White House who was the VP when Obama was using the IRS the FBI, CIA, ACLU, and the military against anybody that was conservative, <clears throat> and, and some that weren't conservative. And now we have a military surrounding the Capitol with razor wire and thousands of troops. Uh, he's arrested people who are still in jail for that uh, January 6th thing, uh, and while letting BLM and Antifa roam around after, after a year of burning down cities and taking over Capitol buildings and police stations and burning them down. Um, he, he also ran through laws in the middle of the night, uh, giving billions of dollars to our enemies and, uh, and setting up uh, uh, Obamacare and whatnot. I can't even think of all the other things. The, to me, this is, and, and plus, you know, he, he, first of all, he told us he was going to do it. He said, I'm going to fundamentally change America. And then he, then he started doing it. Um, I think we're, if not there, we're past that point. And we really need to have a hard look at what the left is doing to our country, not the left, the extreme left, the, you know, the Antifa wing of whatever, I don't even know what to call it, but they're, they are tr trying very, very hard to take over our country, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of it. I don't know how to instill what, what the framers of our country put into into the Constitution with our Second Amendment, but um, I, and I don't know what that looks like, 
but I just wanted to see if you can comment on it. Yeah. Uh, and thank you. Uh, stay, stay with me here. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Um, do you start off with any kind of thought that the way you articulated the case for revolution could be very subjective? That is to say, do you conceive, can you conceptualize that the argument you made could be made almost directly um, about any Democrat against Donald Trump? Um, Policy decisions you didn't like and the like? Yes, yes and no. Um, I I would say a strong no first, because... um, what, what what the left is doing to the country. I mean, for instance, using the IRS to put uh, conservatives in jail. Uh, I mean, using the IRS as a as a, a police force. Okay, and that would be an right. example of what you that, were saying when you said it may yeah. be even pastime. Do, right, but, can but, you but, but, go but ahead? Trump, is not go ahead. Do, yeah. Trump was not doing any of that. Okay, what Trump was doing. He, yes, the left would be against it. Of course they would. But you understand that there would does. be an argument about this. This is not a there, self-evidently oh, uh, sure. obvious they, thing that animates a large portion of society. They would say that Trump would – they would flip everything on its head. Yeah, yeah, say, yes, 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 right. This. Of course they would. So, right, right, right. That. So it that leads me to my second so question. This is such a big topic. My gosh, we should do a – a lot more on it. I don't know what oh, your schedule is like tomorrow. We'll probably have to do some of it tomorrow. This is such a big topic. I'm happy mm-hmm. to do it. But it does lead to my second question to you, Mike, which is given what we just said about the first, that there's not really anything close to majoritarian, much less universal agreement on the grievance mm-hmm. or the side from which it's coming from. Question two, what does that revolution look like to you in this country physically? How does it look? How does it work out? How does it end? That, I, I don't have a clue. That's why I was asking your opinion. Well, do you think it goes well, easy? I, I don't know. With little, I, little blood I, spilt? I don't even know what, how to translate the Constitution. I'm no constitutional scholar, but I, I, I don't know how to translate that Second Amendment, which, which basically tells us to take up arms if our country, if our government, is doing something that will destroy the country. That, that's my very crude uh, definition of what that says, and I think I'm pretty correct. Um, I don't even know what that looks like. They didn't. They didn't really. Well, tell well we us. can we can be specific. I mean, we know what the Second Amendment says literally, right? A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It doesn't say mm-hmm. anything right there about. Yep. Taking arms. Yeah, but when uh, there's something in the Federalist Papers or something that described that that was taking that was going against the government, that the people had the right to go against the government. Sure. So let me let me yeah. try and answer all this this way, Mike. And if it doesn't satisfy, bring it up tomorrow. Call in tomorrow because it is okay. such a big topic. It really is, and it's it is. it's a it's 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 tense. For some, it's uncomfortable. Um. And uh, for others, it's ver- uh, it's um, it's uh, verboten. So here's what I'm going to do, Mike. I'm going to answer you when we come back. And then since it's our last and final segment, I'll ask if you and others who may agree or disagree call back and we'll p- 
pursue it tomorrow. It's such a big topic. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Mike uh, raised as the caller last Friday, raised one of the most important questions of political philosophy in a regime that begins in revolution like our own and that talks uh, about the right of revolution in its very founding document, the Declaration of Independence, where it does indeed say that when forms of government become destructive of the ends of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish them. Yes, true enough. He then, however, does go on to say prudence will indeed dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown mankind more disposed to suffer while evil sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Long train of abuses and usurpations is the test. And the problem, I think, at the end of the day is this. It's obviously the most extreme measure of dissent or political opposition. I don't think it begins well. I don't think it engages well. I don't think it ends well in a country so split and so active at the same time. But as Mike the caller said, Barack Obama and Joe Biden told us they were going to fundamentally transform this country. They did before we voted for them. Before we voted for them. And as long as we can vote them in or out, I think the right to revolution is one best kept where Washington and Madison and Hamilton thought it should be kept after reading Jefferson's words from Paris on the very subject in the drawer. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, class dismissed.